Hey, welcome to our Little Friends podcast. I am Sarah. And I'm Cassidy. So this week we decided to look at the Little Prince through the thematic subject of curiosity. So as we were reading, we really tried to think about not just how we were connecting in a general way, but how we can connect the theme of curiosity to our own lives. So I wanted to start out by telling a personal story. Basically, I like to think about my life a lot of times. If I would have made different choices, how would my life be different? And I think that's maybe the biggest thing that I'm curious about. So one of the big things that I've thought about, and we've actually talked about this, is when I graduated from college, I really wanted to go teach abroad. And my husband, who was just my boyfriend at the time, was already teaching at North Scott. So I sort of had to decide during that time if I wanted to do this adventure and go teach abroad or um, move to the Quad Cities and sort of start our lives together. And that was such a huge decision in my life that I always, not always, but sometimes, of course, you're just curious what could have happened if Mm -hmm. I would have chosen the other direction. And so I like to think of those things in life as sort of unpushed buttons, right? Whenever you see a button, you want to push it and see what happens next. So I like to think of those big decisions like that. I wanted to know if there was any like unpushed buttons in your life that you're curious about sometimes. I think it's kind of funny because you and I have also talked about that same exact story basically for mm-hmm. my life that I wanted to teach abroad and when I was and I met my wife at that time, my girlfriend, and we was kind of making that decision of what 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 I, what I was going to do. So I won't kind of re-say the same story you did. But I actually wrote, I don't know, manifesto when I was in high school about how I, my big thing with life or my theme in life was that every little decision matters. That, like, for instance, if you choose not to pick your pencil up, that could, like, if you ever seen the movie The Butterfly Effect, could alter the entire universe of what you what happens in your life because maybe you reach down and hit that pencil up, and when you stand up, you hit this bully, and then he gets in this fight, and you stand up and you join the army because you realize, oh, I like standing up for people. Where if you don't reach down and get that pencil, then you walk by, you meet your best friend, and you guys go to college together, you become an astrophysicist, like, depending on that idea. So I kind of look back in my life and I think of there, I call them key moments where I'm faced with a decision and you kind of call them unpushed buttons, where if I would have made a, a different decision, what have, what would have happened in my entire life? So, yeah. Yeah, and I think that connects a lot to the Little Prince's whole journey because at every point in the story, he has to decide if he's going to stay or if he needs to continue and try to see what else is out there, who he's going to meet next, and how that will change the course of his life too. So do you want to give a 30-second recap of the Little Prince? Holy cow. Yeah, so... I don't know if you want to do... So I know we just talked about talking about the first 16 chapters or wherever that led us to when he gets to Earth. I don't know if you want to recap the whole book or if you want to stick to those chapters until he gets to Earth. I'll stick to those chapters. By the way, this is Cassie Peterson. Just recapping the little prince. Um, And I'll try to stick to those those 16 chapters uh, because that was a mind job for me a little bit. So... So 30 seconds, all right, go. So the little prince, what happens is we open up on uh, the narrator of the book and he talks about how he only learned to draw two pictures, an inside of a boa constrictor and an outside of a boa constrictor digesting an elephant. He uh, crash lands because later in his life he doesn't learn to draw very well because nobody supports him in that, so he becomes a uh, scholar and he can fly planes. He crashes into the desert, and he only has eight days of drinking water, and he meets this little prince who's from a different planet. 
So through their eight days together, they, he finds that he's, he's traveled on five different planets. And on each planet, he met a different person who was the only person on their planet. And they ranged from a, uh, a drunkard or a tippler, um, somebody that drinks too much, a businessman, somebody who is a, a lamplighter, um, and I can't remember the other ones. But and he is, every time he's making talking a decision about what he should do, and then eventually he gets to the earth. I think that was probably over 30 seconds. Yeah, it was, but yeah. that was good. Okay. Um, did you mention the rose? Oh my gosh, I did it, yeah. So the rose, so he's on his, so another 30 seconds on the rose. So he's on his <laughs> planet, and there's this, this, the most beautiful flower, and he doesn't know what it is. He's never seen this flower before. And she says she's the only one like it in the universe. So... I imagine this flower I've never seen before in my entire life. So the the, ro- the rose is very vain and kind of like, like will say things like, aren't I prettier? And then cough whenever he kind of calls her out on stuff to kind of try to make him feel bad. So he has to protect her. And then he has three volcanoes, one which isn't very... Um, isn't active anymore, but he has, he rakes out anyways to make sure, and then he basically spends his entire life picking out the weeds to make sure the baobab trees don't just take over his entire planet like the one guy that he learned about that did. So he, he ends up basically leaving his planet, and from my, my understanding, because he kind of gets almost fed up with the rose and all of the, the vainness, and he's like, I want to find see what else is out there. So... This is where my scientific mind struggled with. I think I think he talked about taking a migrating bird flock to other planets, but I don't know how he got. So that I wondered a lot about how he got from planet to planet. So, but that's yeah. So yeah. every time, I, so I've taught this novel five times now. It's my fifth year teaching. I've taught it every year because I love it. And every year, I have at least one student that asks, "How did he go from planet to planet?" And I yell at them, "You're missing the entire <laughs> point. Stop but, being like a grown up." And, and and at least at my point is, I realized right away, like this is not the point. I shouldn't mm-hmm. get caught up in this. But it, it was a little bit of a struggle for me, and I was trying to try. To, I, I think I moved past it, and I don't think it clouded my judgment. But it was definitely something I was. But what I like about that is you are showing curiosity by being curious about how he's traveling from planet to planet. And that's something I never thought about that. I never cared. I mean, I read this for the first time as a kid. But then you wanting to know, well, how is this actually happening? It shows you have a naturally curious mind anyway, which I guess then maybe the little prince would say that that's good. Yeah. Um, you mentioned in the beginning of your recap that he, uh, the pilot at the beginning, he was an artist and he was discouraged by that, so went on to be a scholar and a pilot. Um, and he said that when he would, uh, this was on page five, when he would meet people as an adult, he would show them his drawing, uh, drawing number one, and he would want to know, what do you, you see here? Yeah. And they're like, why are you showing me a picture of a hat? And I just love that because I love that he's testing people in this way to see, are you curious? Are you innovative? Are you someone that I can talk to you on? the way on the level that I want to and then um, he sort of goes on and he changes the direction of the conversation based on their response so I guess I wanted to know when you're meeting people or trying to form relationships do you have some sort of like test in your mind to see like can I connect to this person or is this person a curious person like me or what am I trying to find out about them Um, I think I think the question has changed as I've grown up I mean I think back to like literally in high school, I don't. I think I just. I don't remember. I'm just gonna say that. I don't know what question. But I know in college, I used. I would just say hi. My name is Cassidy, and I would gauge the conversation by a lot of that, because a lot of times they either make fun of me or they say, "Oh, that's cool," or they say like, "Oh, but usually if it's a girl, like that's my name," and then that would kind of guide our conversation and what we would, we would do. 
Um, and now I think as I'm older, I think I'm more of the kind of just, I'm going to be who I am and then I'm going to see how they act to that. Um, and I, I would like to say that I don't care. Like I'm like an Alex Yank and I just don't care what people think. And I'm just myself all the time, but that's not 100% true. I, I do care what other people think. So I think there is that little bit of, like I find myself, I always talk about sports with my father-in-law and I love sports, but not to the extent that he does. So that's always what we talk about. And so I'm just kind of like in the book where the, where the man, do we know what the narrator's name is? Well, yes and no. I, so upon the, further research, it really is about himself. Yeah, that's what I was Because he did crash in the Sahara Desert. And yeah. so um, the little prince is a figment of his imagination and as his younger self because yeah. he crashed and wandered for days. So, but they never say, they just call him the pilot. Yeah. So I kind of assumed that that I was like the pilot in the fact that I would try to guide my conversations around what people like to talk about. But I don't know if I still have like a litmus test anymore. So. Do you know what mine is from spending enough time with me? Mm. <laughs> it's been a long time since we've been like getting yeah, to know each yeah. other. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was a long time ago. Yeah. To, um, no, I don't. What is it, Sarah? Basically, Cassidy... I ask people as many questions as I can ask them about Ooh. themselves. And I continue to ask and ask and ask, and I will do this. And if they never ask me a question about me, I know that I can truly never be friends with them. Because then they're not curious about me, and I can't have a relationship with someone that I'm just interviewing them all the time. I have seen, I have noticed that, because I feel like we've talked about it. I know we've talked about this before. So, yeah, no, that's, yeah. And so there are people that, like, I've decided I, I can't continue trying to hang out with this person because we've hung out four times, and I know the name of your brother's science teacher, and uh, you don't even know I have a brother, right? So then at a certain point, I decide, yeah. oh, I'm not going to call that person anymore. Yeah. Good. So that's good. You can still call me. But is that wrong? Should I not be testing people like that? Uh, well, but... I think another thing that I also took away from The Little Prince is is that you need to find what makes you happy and sometimes you don't know until it's not there until it's not there anymore. So I think if you have a way of figuring out what makes you happy, like when the little prince was on the lamplighter's planet, he's like, ooh, this is somebody I could get along with, right? Like I would like to be, because he was the one that seemed like he had the most purpose, but he also knew that I don't know what else is out there and I want to see what else is out there. So I think that it's okay for you to kind of make that. You're, it's not like you're like telling those people like you're shunning them and you're dead mm -hmm. to me. It's just you can always go back if you realize. I'm just always out of town on the weekends when yes. they ask me to hang out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you don't, um, yeah, you don't need the, the, if we can go farther than earth, if you don't need the snake to help you out. Ooh, right? I like that. Yeah. Okay. So is there anything you want to say about the snake since you brought us to that point? Um, um, I, to me, like, okay, so this is where my curiosity did step in a lot is when, with the whole interaction with the snakes. And it was weird because I was so, con I was so worried about how he got from planets, but I never once questioned why he could talk to animals. Like, right. You'd think like, Oh, <laughs> yeah. he's, he's going to different planets. Like that's a, that's the, you know, or like, why can he breathe on his, his planet if it's so small? Like, or wouldn't he be able to jump off? You know, all those things. I never thought about those and I never, but, um, the snake really, I think for me, that was kind of like when I started to, I think, understand the book, at least or how I took it, where like it really made me think of, okay, well, if he, I think it's just that idea that the little prince is different than the pilot. So like the pilot is scared of the, the snake bite because it's going to do something to him where the little prince is like, if I get bit by the snake, I'm going to go back home. 
And if that happens or not, I think I, I think I think that's kind of the the moral or the point of the end of the book is for you to make that decision. But I I really thought that was a great idea, a great point of the story of where the, the pilot is like naturally worried and sad for what's going to happen to the little prince. And I took it as the prince was a little nervous, but still knew that this is his only way to get where he truly wanted to be. So that in the end, he would be freed. But I didn't look at it as like suicide because I, I feel like that that's a that would be a, I feel like if I did I would have not liked it as much as I like oh he's going home to now he's gonna be at the rose I looked at it truly as like the little prince has called superpowers if you will mm-hmm. so that he would be just leaving his shell of a body and that his the rest of him would be going there Steve I see it as like once he is saved from the desert and he has to return back to real society, the little prince can no longer be with him anymore. He's so he's just suppressed back into where he was for all of those years since he was a kid. Um, and that's why, like, at the very end, and I know we said we were only going to talk about the first 16 chapters, but I knew we wouldn't. Um, to me, it's like if you, if this little man appears who laughs, who, have golden, who has golden hair and refuses to answer questions, you will know who he is. If this should happen, please comfort me. Send me word that he has come back. So it's like, not that he doesn't need the little prince, but it's like the little prince doesn't have a place in the society of grown-ups where you have to try to fit in with people talking about neckties and taxes. And that, like, as much as he wants the little prince to be in his life to see him again, he, like, knows that he just doesn't belong. Mm-hmm. And so the pilot and the little prince are actually one person I did kind of think that and now that you say that it totally blows my mind because I was a little I was on that track but I, I don't think I put it together like that like that's amazing to me and it makes once again like the story seems so much better when you look at it that way that it's not necessarily that the little prince is like so his home is like inside of the pilot like mm-hmm. right like that yeah that he's the little boy that he basically showed the pilot so now he's not needed anymore because the pilot's gonna go back to humanity he learned everything he needed from the little prince mm-hmm. so it's amazing yeah. and so he kind of remembers those things then hopefully like you know that he did remember as a kid so in thinking about then curiosity, so maybe since we're talking about curiosity, maybe he remembered from the little prince to not worry about, like as he said, matters of consequence or change what those matters of consequence are and focus on the curiosity. Maybe like what is something now that um, this little prince has brought your own inner little Cassidy prince back to you? Mm-hmm. What's something that you can remember going forward when it comes to curiosity and maybe looking at things more like you did as a child? So do I have to stay within the before he gets to Earth, or can we? No, no, no. I would say we've gone past that. Okay, all right. We've it's a shame we haven't talked about the fox yet. But. Yeah, no, no, no. That, that's huge. Because I would say that the two biggest things, the two biggest, I like, the, I really like the snake part, but then the fox, and then the last question, basically, where it's like, did the, does the she did the sheep eat the rose? Mm-hmm. I think that's like to me. I just love that like idea of like when you look at the stars, basically, like to me, it's rem- asking that question of like, are you going to be optimistic or pessimistic? Are you going to have a good outlook? on life or a bad outlook on life that that's kind of how I took it that if you think well the, the sheep definitely ate the rose well then think about how distraught that little prince would be and sad and that would be terrible or if he didn't eat the rose because the little prince was able to you know tame him going back to the fox's idea then that way uh, I think it just gives you that different outlook on life so that's something I, I took for, away from the book uh, the other thing is that um, 
just just reading in general. I just liked it. I mean, <laughs> it was it was it's it's good. It was it was tough for me to follow at first, but I think it kind of as the story went on, it got easier and easier to follow because you got you got under, you understood what was going on. Yeah. So those are yeah those are my two big things. Uh, that the the whole conversation with the fox about teaming, mm-hmm. and then the whole idea of like the optimistic. Did the sheep eat the rose? Yeah, I wanted to talk about the fox because, Cassidy, both you and I have talked about that we really value friendship in our mm-hmm. life and we make sure to take time for our friends um, in addition to taking time with our families. So, basically, is there anything new that you got out of the fox or did it just sort of remind you that, yes, it is good to prioritize your friendships? No, I think it, not, definitely, it, it, not only friendships, but I thought, I thought about, okay, what chapter does the fox show up in? 21. 21. So let's see. Um, I t- I looked at it more like yeah that I that a love that love, and that's what makes something unique compared to anything else in in the world. Like it, whether it be a person or a cheeseburger or whatever it is, you have those connections. And uh, I, I I'm gonna say answer your question. Then I'm gonna have some quotes that I I want to ask you about. But my thing, I thought I also looked at it as just a two-way street. Like you brought up earlier, like if you ask people questions they never once ask you, then that, to me, that's not a true connection. Mm-hmm. Like that true connection is where like the fox is looking forward to the, to the little prince coming every day at the same time, and the little prince is looking forward to seeing the fox. Like they have that relationship with each other. So it kind of made me honestly think about friendships. Like I'm pretty in love with my wife so I don't know if that 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 will change but I did Niall I like after I read this we had a conversation about and not not to quote the book but I talked about how like having that idea of that connection going both ways and that just it can't go um be all about something different so like for instance I'll talk about friendships now like I have a friend who's very like into himself and he's not very nice and we've talked sometimes about things and like after this book I started realizing like those are things that make a difference to me. So, like, I should, like, voice those opinions to him because that's going to d- um, deepen our connection. And then he's going to hopefully be more tame, to kind of use more of <laughs> literal of a sense. Um, but, yeah, I think that was a huge part. I, I love the whole fox part. Me too. Yeah. I have, I don't know if you noticed this when you were my, at my house, but I have, like, this big fox painting, you know, in that fireplace room mm-hmm. going on the deck. I have, like, this huge fox painting there, and that's because I, of, I love the fox that. so much. That's yeah. great. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I, the two things uh, that I took from that chapter with the fox were that uh, one only sees with the heart anything essential is invisible to the eye. I thought that was, like, amazing that, like, and I took it as the almost a little bit differently but it's like your eyes can see one thing but your heart will see something different so like kind of like that idea of like the uniqueness like that everybody will see one rose but the little prince sees the rose mm-hmm. like there's a difference between a and the mm-hmm. so i thought that was huge and then um and then it's the time you spent that makes things important so like the idea that like that you're taming the fox because you've spent days weeks months years taming me to do so then that's what makes that connection or like for the rose you carried after that rose for so long that it makes that connection and I related that you know to, you relate that everything I used to always use that for sports it's like hey you know we've put in three months of work we did two a days we did all this stuff and then now we're just going to give up with two two seconds left in the game because of why like all that time is something so that I think was awesome like I loved those two parts I like to make t-shirts 
I agree. And I love, I connect to the Fox so much because I know, I don't know if you've read the book Love Languages or, or heard about that, but people have different love, love languages and what makes them feel like they have a connection. And one of them is quality time. And I think that's what my love language is. Like if I have a relationship with someone, I want to spend time with them. Whereas the rose is so words of affirmation. That's another one of the seven love languages that it's like, she needs the little prince to tell her you're pretty and give her all these words of affirmation. Mm -hmm. and, and the Fox kind of teaches him like, I, like you could just spend time with someone like just being there like being present is the greatest gift that um, yeah. you can give to another person and so I love the Fox for that I have two questions for you now um, I thought I'm gonna go with my first my second question first then go back to my first I don't know if that <laughs> matters um, because you just said that they're spending time, and then I thought of like in chapter twenty-five when he was observing the express trains, and he's like, "So the people are going here, and then they're just literally coming right back." And the guy's trying to explain to them that like, "No, like it's different people." And he's like, "But so I kind of took it as like, what is the point of running in circles, right?" Yeah. So is there anything in your life where you like after maybe after you read this where you're like, "I need to just." This is not worth it for me. Well, first I have to say that my favorite quote from that section is, um, it's only the children that have their faces pressed against the window panes. It's only the children that know what they were looking yes. for. And I love that. So number one, they're just enjoying the journey. The, the kids in the train are not running in circles. Like They are looking, they're enjoying, they want to know what's going to happen next, back to that curiosity. Um, and just the fact that like it is the children. Yeah. And um, so that's not really answering your question, but I had to mention mm -hmm. that. So something that in my life that I, I feel like I'm running in circles with sometimes, and, and I don't want to say this because I love my job, but, but sometimes at work there's certain things, and I don't mean this actually being with the kids and being in the classroom. I just mean, you know, there's certain things when we're going to meetings and in our professional development and things like that. I feel like sometimes we're having the same conversations over and over, but they're not necessarily getting us to a new destination. And that's something where, you know, it's hard to enjoy the journey in a meeting, right? Yeah. So that's something where I don't know if that lesson really, um, really helps. So for you, you talk about you need to keep the house clean and especially clean it up. You spend time cleaning it up before the kids get home. So that's matters of consequence to you. The kids will come home and wreck it pretty much every time because matters of consequence to them is having fun and being mm -hmm. like, hey, dad, I'm home. Yeah. Let's hang out. So how do you then, as an adult, keep that childhood attitude where you don't get too uptight about things, but at the same time, you do have to keep your house clean. I mean, you still have to live like an adult in so many ways. So yeah. how can you sort of mesh those two together? I've been trying, and I think it's getting easier as my kids are getting older because the house is not as messy, but I've been trying to do more of the let's play, like we'll play with something and then put that one thing away instead of leaving everything out. And part of it is just my wife is totally in that child. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, just if they have two hours to play, let them play for two hours, and then we'll figure it out at the end. And so then the house is just a mess, and then it takes a half an hour to clean up. Um, and I'm just like, okay, well, then let's like play with something for 20 minutes and then put it away. That takes five seconds. So in the long run, it's going to save us some time. Um, and that's what I'm trying to do is get to the idea where, like, okay, if we're playing something, then let's play and then have me be engaged in that instead of looking at the rest of the house and saying, like, what can I do? Because that's another thing, too, is 
I also struggle too. Like then I think of all the things I have to do. So then instead of being engaged in the moment, I'm not being a grown up, right? I'm just saying, okay, well I have to respond to these emails. I have to get ready for this podcast. I have to whatever it is. So like part of it is like Peyton and I read The Little Prince together a little bit to because to, we had to do reading that night. So then that way I was like, oh, and she wanted to read it. And then after that that day, she wanted to go read other books. So then I had to kind of uh, do that because I don't. I think she struggled a little bit to follow what was going on because she's only six. So. Um, that that's where my plan is. So, so we're gonna move on to Lectio Divina in a minute, unless there's anything else that you want to talk about that we have not hit on yet. Anything to do with curiosity, or just anything you took from the book that you really want to talk about? Um, you kind of hinted on it, but my big thing, like, um, I didn't know if if what you thought. My first thing, the idea of the grown-ups. He constantly talks about. I hope I'm not a grown-up or acting like a grown-up or thinking like a grown-up. And I think you kind of got into that where you talked about the idea of like he basically has that litmus test of the, the paper because he wants to see are they going to be like a grown-up or are they going to be like a child so he knows how to do that. But I didn't know if you thought that the baobabs represented anything deeper than just simply weeds on on the little prince's planet. Yeah, I love the baobabs. And I, you know, because I hate them, but it's such a cool, powerful message in so many ways. But so on a very general level, they represent negativity. They represent bad ideas um, that basically, and this kind of connects actually with the incurious too, because a baobab, it starts small. And if you don't take it away or get it out right away, it's going to get bigger and bigger. And I know, especially like as kids are growing up, they might get curious about making poor decisions or trying things that they shouldn't be trying. So I never thought of it that way. That's amazing. No wonder why. Yeah. So, sorry, sorry. so, so, so a baobab. So, um, if you're curious about something that's negative or bad, you can kind of start dabbling in it. But then sometimes it grows too big, and maybe you get sucked into the wrong friend group, or you start making too bad choices, and that just turns into a pattern and things like that. And then once you're in, and the baobab has grown, it's really hard to get out. And that can just be with like people, like we know people who are just negative people, right? That started at some point, and now that's where they live in that negative world. We know people who have, um, you know, like you, you know, I have a family member that struggles with addiction. So we know people that are struggling with that, and that is that person's baobab. On a more direct level, um, our author was a pilot in World War II, and this book was written uh, during that time. So they're a representation of the Nazis, which is how uh, Hitler came to power. Mm -hmm. So basically, things were a really bad idea at first, but they were small. It was like, well, let's just make this law. And then all of a sudden, as time went on, you have the Nuremberg laws. And things just got bigger and bigger and bigger, and then Hitler was too powerful. And they did not take out the Nazi party at the beginning when it was small, and then it was too big for them to do anything about it. So in a direct sense, the Nazis, in a more general sense, just everything that's bad or negative in this world, the bigger it gets, the harder it is to eliminate. Total mind job. That's amazing. <laughs> no, I, that, that just blows up the whole thing. Like, I never thought of it that way. I just literally thought, okay, well, that's like, that was just his job. Like, right? Like, each planet, there's something somebody has to do, and his thing was the Baobabs. And I just did not take it like that. That's, a, that's awesome. That's what were totally, you thinking? I just literally thought it was just a weed and that that's his job, right? Like, so the lamplighter's job is to light the lamp and everyone else. And he was trying to show like that having a job that means purpose where you're going to improve other people is more important than when you're not. So if the baobabs take over your planet, then that's not good. Well, and then I have two other questions, then we can move on to the last part. 
Um, I, I in chapter twelve because I got kind of that point where he said grown up so many times. I was started wondering like if I'm a grown up, and you kind of hit at that to me like like what I felt like. So what do you feel like? Do you feel like you're in? Where are you at that? I feel like part of the reason why we're friends and because I like hanging out with you, I feel like part of that reason is because when I'm with you, I don't feel like I have to be a grown-up. Like, I think that we just have fun conversations and I feel that there's no judgment and um, I feel like, I feel like I'm not a grown-up. Part of that, and I'm curious about your perspective because I also don't have kids. So Mm -hmm. I think maybe if I was a parent... Um, I will change if that ever happens someday, and I'm just sure that's natural to change to be more of a a caregiver, but I still feel like I'm very much not a grown-up. And I was even telling a couple students when I was telling them last week I'm going to go to the musical Friday, and they're like, why not Saturday? And I said, because I can't be Mrs. Burtog on Saturdays. I have to be Sarah. Because, like, I don't don't see myself as a grown-up, which is why I love teaching, because I don't want to work with grown-ups all day. I want to work with kids because I just feel like I connect so much more with them than I do adults. And I, I don't know if that will last forever, but that's just how I feel right now. I, I agree 100%. I think that's, that's, that's spot on with everything that you said. I think you're right. Probably that's probably why we are as good friends as we are because of those characteristics that we share. And then finally, um, in chapter 10, the, I took away this quote, and I'm paraphrasing, but they said... Um, the little prince and the pilot were talking, and they talked about um, how judging yourself is harder than judging others. And then I was, I think it's kind of with a little caveat at the end, like if you're honest. Because there's some people I think that judge themselves, like, oh yeah, I'm friggin' cool, and they don't look at the 19 <laughs> things that they do wrong, so then they judge other people. Where it's like if you're honest, I think it's very difficult. Do you judge yourself accurately, do you think? No, I don't think, and that's why I don't think, I don't think, I think that's why it's so hard is because I think you're more honest with other people because it doesn't hurt as much, but you're not as honest with yourself. Like I always wonder that, that, the, uh, that idea of like, if I would held up a mirror and it's like my mental image of what I look like, how closely related does it match what I look like? Mm-hmm. Like let's say it's just like straight like Ryan Reynolds body shape, like am I going to be ripped? <laughs> like in my mind, do I think, oh yeah, I'm way better, like. And then in reality, it's like I look like a beach whale. You know, just something like that. Like, just to go with... Yeah, I mean, that's why nobody likes to see themselves on video, right? Or when we were doing the digital stories in class, none of the kids wanted to listen to their own voices. It's because you ignore things about yourself that you don't want to accept. Um, Granted, like, a lot of people, I think, are too critical of themselves. I actually Mm -hmm. think a lot of people are the other direction where they need to cut themselves a little bit of slack, especially our students. But I think that it is impossible to judge oneself rightly Mm. just because you can never truly know how you're coming off to other people you can think oh I'm being kind and I'm acting the right way or that you're doing things the best that you can but you can never truly know how other people are perceiving certain things you say and do and I just think And just because they're perceiving something doesn't mean that they're right either. So I I just don't think, at least me, maybe I should just say me, I don't think I could ever really judge myself accurately. Mm -hmm. Which is why I think it's important then 
I know we talked about the code of ethics during our informative unit that you were there for. And I think that's important. That's why a code of ethics is important because I can't really judge myself totally accurately, but I know, am I trying to be kind? Am I trying to listen when other people are talking? And if you're making an effort to do those types of things, then hopefully you're being a good person. Mm -hmm. And that's the only judgment that really matters. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think we're running out of time. Okay. So let's do our Lectio Domina. Okay. So basically, what this is, and I haven't done this since college. We'll see how it goes. What this is, is you just flip in the book, and one of us, so you can do it if you want, and you, you, you would flip in the book, and you would just point... And wherever you point, you have to read that sentence. I just pointed at a picture. But so you do it, and we read that sentence, and then it's a four-step process. So first, we then just explain what happened and what's going on in that sentence. And then we talk about allegories and symbols found in the passage, and then a reaction of what each other has noticed. And then finally, we decide to uh, make an action plan in response to that passage. Okay. All right, so, so you want me Yeah, just flip and point stop. to a to stop. Okay. One never knows, said the geographer. One never knows. Ooh, what a great... Well, I think anything you point to in this book would just be the most profound thing. <laughs> yeah. Because I just love it so much. So, say it one more time. One never knows, said the geographer. Okay, and I like this because we haven't talked about the geographer yet. So, what is going on sort of in this section of the book? This is where uh, he's on the planet with the geographer. Um... And he's explained, the little prince is explaining to the geographer what his plan, planet is like. So the geographer can then write about that if he thinks he's interesting enough after he goes through all of the trials and tribulations of basically doing a background check on the little prince. Um, so he's talking about, and that, I think that, that exact quote, he's talking about the extinct volcano to see if it's actually extinct. Oh. Because you, you never know if it's really extinct. Okay. So, One yeah. never knows. Okay, so the next thing is based on that, what sort of allegory, symbol, lesson, moral, theme, what can you get out of that sentence on a deeper level? Well, I think it, it kind of means like one never know, you never know anything, right? Like you're, you never know if somebody's going to be nice or somebody's going to be mean. You never know if you can do something uh, unless you try it. So that it's just kind of that deeper meaning of that there's always going to be that doubt or that optimism in anything that you look at, no matter what, nothing's going to be 100%. I think that sometimes I think I'm the, the luckiest person in the world because I feel like good things just happen to me. And this was a really good thing that just happened to me because this brings us exactly back to where we started this podcast. One never knows. We talked about unpushed buttons. Mm -hmm. So one never knows what, what could have happened if you had made a different choice in your life? And um, one never knows is, of course, just like the perfect sentence to think about curiosity anyway. So I think that just brings us back to our talk from the beginning that, like, you just never know what your life would have been like had you taken a different path. And that just makes our choices so important. Oh, my gosh. If we should that's really should we just stop right we there? Just... <laughs> well, so let's. Um, so, any any other thoughts then before we make an action plan based on that? Uh, no. Okay. Okay. So, what is your call to action based on the line "One never knows"? 
I think it's I'm gonna I'm doing a better job of this, but trying to look at both sides of an argument, disagreement, conversation, whatever it is, to try to kind of put yourself in that other person's shoes because you never know if they're correct. And not related to the book, but another thing I heard um, this guy I went to a conference the other week, and I heard him talking, and he taught he said fall in love with the problem not your solution so he said so no matter what the pro fall in love with like fixing the idea that oh if i really want backpacks to be worn in school fall in love with how am i going to get that fixed not your solution of that i'm going to write a letter to dr buddy and then i'm just going to keep writing letters because somebody might say well have you tried making a video or have you tried talking to you try going so there's multiple different solutions but i that just that rain brought back that in my head i love that I guess my call to action for one never knows is that sometimes I feel like I need to be more curious about how things are working. You mentioned toward the beginning you wanted to know how the prince was getting from one place to another. And I would say I don't have a scientific mind at all, but I think being curious is so important and that's part of what makes people innovators and makes them successful. That um, I should keep being curious and not try to... um, stand still in what I already know. So I am trying to think of something that I could do to expand my horizons and learn more. Can you think of anything for me? Well, you read a lot. Yeah. Um, I, when you, I mean, when you, if you find, are you, what kind of books are you reading? Are you reading books for? Right now I'm just reading a lot of fiction and a lot of teaching books. Yeah. So then, <laughs> yeah, so maybe it's that when you find those teaching <laughs> things that you're, you're, okay, make a conscious effort that that's what you're going to, you're going to try I'm going to try it. Yeah. Okay. So after spring break, the week we get back, I am going to try at least one new thing that week that I learned in one of my teaching nice. books that I have to read over okay. break. And I am going to try, I want to start a student-led innovator team. So I, when I get back from spring break, I am going to figure that whole process out because that's going to be a long, lot of thing. And I'm going to do lunch and learn with high school because I've been putting that off for long enough. So then that way I got to, I never know if it's going to work if I don't try it. I like so. it. So one never knows, our last thought. Okay. So, any other thoughts about The Little Prince before we wrap up this so sad ending to our discussion? No, great book. Okay. It was awesome. I hope hope everybody enjoyed our podcast. I'm glad that you liked it. Right. We should have thought of a signing off tag. Oh, yeah. Thanks for listening. (laughs) This is brought to you by Hitting the Books Hard with Bertog.